On a beautiful Florida day, Mickey Strange walked with friends along the large mound of sand and crushed shells near the waters of old Tampa Bay. But as she reached the summit of the large hill, she had a feeling that there was an unseen something, or someone, there with her. While children played nearby and picnic-goers were enjoying their time outdoors, Mickey says she very clearly saw a scene that just didn't belong. She says she witnessed a tall, broad man standing atop the mound, and he was speaking to a row of men listening intently at the bottom. She also saw some women standing off to the back a ways, but still staring as intently as the men while the larger man spoke. A gathering in a Florida park isn't a rare occurrence, but what Mickey saw likely took place several hundreds of years before. I'm Steve Blanchard. Welcome to Phantom History. Just a short drive from the beaches of Clearwater and the chic and modern nightlife of St. Petersburg sits Felipe Park, 122 shaded acres that stretches nearly a mile along the western coast of a body of water just north of Tampa Bay. That body of water, fittingly called Old Tampa Bay, butts into the remains of what archaeologists say is a temple mound constructed by the Tocobaga tribe of Pinellas County. That tribe, long extinct, lived, worked, and survived in the subtropical climate of Florida for hundreds of years. Mickey says she is a sensitive, meaning she has an ability to see and encounter things that many of us cannot. She is certain that what she saw that day in the park was a residual memory of that tribe and the chief who once ruled the area. Ceremonial mounds were done for specific purposes, whether it be meeting place for their chief to address the rest of them. And that's what I saw. I saw him looking down, although the mound's not complete. From what I understand, there was a storm and some of that mound is gone. But I saw him looking down and I felt him. And I said to them, he feels big. And that's not what I thought Native Americans in Florida would be. I thought they would be small people. But he felt tall and big. And I can only say that sometimes when I feel them, I can feel stature. But I saw him, I saw him looking over the edge of the mound, and I saw him addressing people. And I saw their hair. I saw how they were dressed. And they were all men. The women were standing back a little further, but they were involved. But the people that were standing around the base of the mound were men. So that's what I saw at first. And I'm like, okay, this is residual. I don't pick up a lot. Um, The rest of the people with me that one of our ladies that's very, very good, she actually picked up on a Spaniard being kept there. He was very thin and very ill and had been with them for a while and treated badly. And I think she picked up his last moments there. Mickey is a paranormal investigator with the Tampa Bay Spirits, and her team's findings seem to match the history books. The Tocobaga tribe, while innately peaceful, found themselves at war soon after the Spaniards stepped onto Florida's shores. And they had good reason to dislike the newcomers. In 1528, their first impression was that of Panfilo de Narvaez, a Spanish conqueror with an infamously violent past. The man with one eye and a bright red beard had arrived only months after he slaughtered 2,000 peaceful natives of a Cuban village. 
Redbeard, as history calls him now, arrived on the pretense of converting the indigenous people to Christianity. But in reality, he was in search of gold. So when he found a quiet Native American village on the east coast of modern-day Pinellas County, he destroyed every hut and the trinkets he found were just the proof he needed, however inaccurate, that more gold was waiting to be discovered. When they returned to their destroyed village, the Tokobaga protested and their chief stepped forward to confront the conqueror. But Redbeard did not have patience for opposition and drew his sword and swiftly cut off the chief's nose with one swing of the blade. When the elderly mother of the chief witnessed this, she stepped forward in protest and hoped to comfort her son. Her reward? Redbeard ordered the release of his dogs upon her, and she was quickly mauled to death. That lit a hatred for the invaders among the Native Americans, and it's a hatred that still seems to burn today. Vic Tuning is the owner of Voices from Beyond and specializes in the collection of EVPs, or Electronic Voice Phenomena. I met with Vic at Philippe Park, where he has done his own investigations countless times. He says he has heard voices from beyond the grave that echo the pain of that time. I had asked at one point uh, what happened to the tribes, and uh, I got a response back from, he sounded like a Caucasian male, but he said they were targeted. I asked specifically about them, and it's hard to tell in the recording, at one point, I caught Conquistador. I believe he was Spanish. A Native American tribe that inhabited, this was their main location, and they did fight with other tribes, but not as much. They weren't as aggressive as other tribes were, but they would have to stand, they would have to protect their own. But the, the Spanish came in here, brought disease, raped, pillaged, took whatever they wanted, basically, and uh, just decimated the tribe. It was just, it, it was horrible. I know it was. And, and, and that's what I feel when I come in here sometimes. But there's also the underlying thing in here that, you know, this was their land and they're still protecting it. Mickey agrees with Vic. While she is certain that the residual loop left by the Tokobaga tribe plays a heavy role in the overall feel of Philippe Park, She also picked up other residual activity during her walk along and beyond the mound. As we're walking down off the mound, the really heavy experience for me was halfway down the hill, I started having severe pain. Now, I have this pain with gunshot wounds, but my head felt like it was exploding. And I know that pain, but I also have had migraines before, so I kind of blew it off. But the, cl- the further down the hill and closer to the riverside, because we were going to walk along the, the bay there, the harbor, and the closer we would get, the worse it got. And when we were walking along, I had to stop at this spot, and I put my head down. I told the girl that was working with me, the lady, my co-investigator, that was walking with me, my head is going to explode, something's going on. And I got to one spot as we were going along and I had to put my head down on the rail. And I'm just like, oh my God, it, I can't I can't go any further. Well, where I stopped, unfortunately, I was picking up, I believe, the man that was sitting there shot himself. And um, I felt him and it, it was terrible. It was, you know, a lot of pain. 
and I couldn't stand it. I had to get away. I, I, I couldn't stand next to it. And where I stopped is where this occurred. According to a story in an edition of the Largo Leader newspaper, a 53-year-old man committed suicide in Philippe Park one morning in June of 2009, just before 8 a.m. He left no note, but the newspaper reported that a year earlier he had been arrested on suspicion of embezzlement. He survived the initial gunshot wound, but died just hours later in the hospital. His home was less than a mile away in Safety Harbor. Vic is convinced that there are more than just residual spirits in Philippe Park. The Tokobaga may be the main residence, of course, but he said he has communicated with spirits from several backgrounds. He shared that he has walked through the wooded area of the park sometime in late 2018 with his spirit box, a modified radio that scans low-level frequencies. He said he recorded several voices responding to his questions. Some were angry answers and told him to leave the park, while others simply responded with one word that indicated their place of birth or that they were simply still present. He did add, however, that he believes not all of the spirits that remain in Philippe Park are simply the spirits of long-deceased humans. I think there's a factor there that everybody needs to be aware of, that some of these things have gone beyond being human. I don't know how, and... uh, They can cause you grief. Vic adds that in the past, spirits have indeed followed him home after an investigation. But he says treating them with respect likely keeps them from doing anything malevolent. When I'm talking to the spirits, I always tell them I thank them. I hope you go into the light and never forget it's never too late for forgiveness. And I always tell them that. No report on Philippe Park would be complete without mentioning its namesake, O'Day Philippe. Where the park sits today was at one time Philippe's expansive plantation in 1842. There, he is credited with introducing grapefruit to Florida, as well as the area's passion for cigars. The 160 acres was his homestead until the Hurricane Mickey referenced earlier wiped out his plantation and most of the Temple Mound. What's standing today is what's left and is protected by seawalls. Philippe was a settler in Pinellas County and had an interesting yet complicated past, mostly because he fabricated so much of it. What we do know is that he was born in 1789 in Lyons, France, and that he died in 1869 in Pinellas County. He sailed his ship around Florida and first attempted to settle on the east coast of the state, but he was driven out by the Native American tribes there. When he did finally settle, it was in modern-day Pinellas County around the year 1821. There, he called his plantation St. Helena and is credited with introducing grapefruit to Florida. According to the Florida Citrus Hall of Fame, Philippe established the first post-colonial commercial grove on the west coast of Florida. The hurricane in 1848 wreaked havoc on his plantation, but the mound offered substantial protection, and he weathered it fairly well. He was eventually able to rebuild his homestead. Because of his expertise in citrus and his resilience, Philippe is credited with the impressive statistic of today. Grapefruit accounts for one-fifth of citrus production in Florida. The rest of Philippe's story is a little harder to prove. He would often boast that he was a nephew of King Louis XVI, 
and he'd also share that he was the chief surgeon of the French army. In addition, he told people that he was a childhood friend of the notorious Napoleon Bonaparte. The math, however, at least concerning Napoleon, doesn't support this. Bonaparte was born 20 years before Philippe, making the childhood connection between the two men impossible. He also claimed that his ability to heal made him a confidant of the pirate Gomez, whom he says told him about the uninhabited area of Tampa Bay. That, too, is in question and likely not true. Philippe did, however, sail through the Caribbean before landing in Tampa Bay on his ship called the Ney, named after Napoleon's ship. When Philippe died in 1869, he was buried on the ground of his estate, which is now Philippe Park. It's unclear where his body rests, but historians know he is interred somewhere on the grounds. A marker in the park resembling a grave honors Philippe, but it is not his actual final resting place. He was inducted into the Florida Citrus Hall of Fame 94 years after his death in 1963. The investigators I spoke with have yet to encounter Philippe, but that doesn't mean they won't be looking. I did not feel anything from him. We have talked about going back and trying to find if his burial site is close by. We had opinions, but we didn't explore that. By this time, my head was about popping off, so I wasn't big on going and doing a heck of a lot more. But he has a fantastic history there. You know, the first one to bring grapefruit to Florida. So it's definitely a big part of Florida history, and it'd be great to explore it. Vic also plans to continue his search and hopes that one day the lingering spirits at Philippe Park, and perhaps Philippe himself, will be willing to show themselves. If they want to let you know that they're there, they will. After leaving my interview with Vic at Philippe Park, he called me as I was driving home. He had one final message he wanted to share. He wanted me to know that the equipment in his car, including several electromagnetic field meters, were vibrating wildly in his backpack. When he pulled them out to inspect them, they were all registering red on the scale. He said that could only mean one thing. Something had decided to follow him home that day from the park. Phantom History is researched, recorded, and produced by me, Steve Blanchard. I want to thank my guests, Vic Tuning of Voices from Beyond and Mickey Strange of the Tampa Bay Spirits for offering their expertise in this discussion of Philippe Park. You can see the landmarks of the park on phantomhistory.com and on the Phantom History social media accounts. Music in this episode is courtesy of Shane Ivers of silvermansound.com, Chad Crouch, and Raphael Crew. If there is a mysterious location that you think would make for an interesting episode, please let me know by emailing podcast at phantomhistory.com. Please subscribe to Phantom History so you are alerted to each new episode that posts every Monday. You can also follow this podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Just search for Phantom History. And please consider giving Phantom History a five-star review on whatever platform you use to enjoy podcasts. Thank you for listening.